time of our next scripture lesson, and this time it comes from Luke's Gospel, the 19th chapter. As I mentioned moments ago, we're going to be looking at the story of Zacchaeus, and if you want to follow along, you can definitely do so on the screen above me, or if you brought uh, a Bible or have a Bible app that you want to utilize, feel free to do that. But Luke 19, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 10 this morning. Hear now the word of the Lord. He, being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass by that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you again this morning. And again, Lord, we thank you for who you are, the, the plans and the purposes that you have for us as your people. And Lord, we thank you that as we gather in this place this morning, you have plans and purposes for our time together. And Lord, we pray that even now your Holy Spirit would have the freedom to move in our midst, to open our eyes, that we might see your truth more clearly, so that our ears would be unclogged and we might hear your voice speak afresh and anew to us. And Lord, we pray that you would give us lives where we're ready to go and live out these things that we talk about. Go and live them out so that you can be honored and glorified all the days of our lives. And so, Lord, over these next few moments, I ask that you would speak through me, or I ask that you'd speak in spite of me. But I pray that regardless, your word would go forth and that we, your people, would be changed because of it. So, Father, here we are. We're in this space. We're giving our attention over to you. Accomplish your good, pleasing, and perfect work in us, we ask and we pray. It's in Christ's name that all these things have been asked. And together, all God's people said, Amen. Well, it was quite a while ago. The year was 1517, in fact, and there was an Augustinian monk who had become a German priest. And his name was Martin Luther, and you may have heard of the guy. The Protestant Reformation owes a lot to him. But on a fateful day in 1517, Martin Luther took and he nailed these 95 statements, these 95 theses to the church door at Wittenberg. And he wrote these statements because he was convicted of and he was convinced that these bits of paper that he was selling as a priest, these indulgences that were supposed to help with the remission of sins and also were a fundraiser that the church was doing to build a new basilica in Rome known as St. Peter's. He looked at these indulgences and he realized that they really weren't going to help with the remission of sins. No one's sins were going to be forgiven because they had bought these things. 
but it had become a popular belief. And there was even a saying, and maybe you've heard it, every time a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. And so a lot of people believed that if they paid their dues, if they paid their money, and they got these pieces of paper, then their time in purgatory was going to be shorter. So with a scroll and with a nail and with a hammer in hand, Martin Luther set off to the church there at Wittenberg, and he nailed these 95 statements to the door. He was hoping to spark an academic conversation. He was hoping to spark some sort of conversation about how things might change for the better. But the rest, we might say, is history. Luther's 95 statements would pave the way and give birth to what became known as the Protestant Reformation. Instead of purchasing salvation by way of a piece of paper, Luther and the other reformers, they would go on to look at Scripture and they would dive deep into its pages, seeking God's wisdom and guidance, His direction for their lives. And in the process, they came up with five solas, five things that they felt were evident in Scripture that were necessary and important as a pertain to our relationship with God and salvation and all these sorts of things. And those five, those five solas are expressed this way. Sola fide, faith alone. You see, Luther and the Reformers believed that we're not saved by the purchase of indulgences or by the good that we've done in this life. No, we are saved by faith. By trusting in God, by trusting in what He's done for us, something that we couldn't do for ourselves. We're saved by putting faith in Christ who gave his life for us, his body broken, his blood shed so that we could have a relationship with God. Faith alone. But that wasn't the only sola. There was sola gratia, which is grace alone. It's unmerited favor that comes to us from God. You see, God has not only done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, but Luther and the Reformers believed that this was an incredible gift that we've been given, a gift that we don't deserve and we can't earn. It's a gift that we lay hold of by faith. And then they believed in sola Christus, Christ alone, that we are dependent wholly and solely upon His grace, that we have to rely upon what He's done for us that we're undeserving, we have nothing to offer, that He and He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And then Scripture alone. Rather than creating our own systems, our own means of laying hold of God's grace, we look at what the Bible has to say. We look at what God's Word has to say about us and our own sinfulness and our need of God. And everything that we know about our relationship with Him comes from Scripture. And then they talked about sola de, deo gloria, the glory of, to the glory of God alone, that all that we are, all that we have, all that we will ever be is due to God, and at the same time, we should give our lives back to Him in service of Him and seek to live for His pleasure. 
So it seems fitting that on this Reformation Sunday, on this day where we talk about Martin Luther and this courageous act of faith where he nailed these statements to the church door, sparking a Reformation, a Reformation that centered on God's grace and his salvific work in our lives, it only seems fitting that we turn our attention towards this man named Zacchaeus, a man who Luke describes in his gospel as being short, wealthy, and a tax collector. His stature, it seems, his, his lack of height, it could have prevented him from having seen and encountered Christ. And that led him to climb up in that sycamore tree. You see, everyone else had gone out to see him. Rumors had spread that Jesus was on his way, but Zacchaeus, because of his height, he knew he wasn't going to catch a glimpse of Jesus. He knew there was no way Jesus was going to see him. And he wanted desperately to see Jesus. So although short in stature, he got creative and he climbed up on that tree. His wealth, too, could have prohibited him from experiencing God's grace and mercy. Just back in chapter 18, a few short verses from where our scripture begins today, we're introduced to a rich young ruler, a man who had a lot of similarities with Zacchaeus. But that ruler... He couldn't part with his possessions. He couldn't give them up. He couldn't surrender his life to God. So Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus found himself in a similar boat. And his wealth, his own pride and arrogance, those could have prevented him from accepting God's gracious gift, but it didn't. And his position in the community, it, it too, it too could have been prohibitive. After all, he was a tax collector. Everyone looked at him with anger and animosity. His fellow Jews, the townspeople that he shared this community with, they saw him as the enemy. He worked for their oppressor. He collected taxes so that the empire could prosper. But not only that, Zacchaeus was not a good tax collector. He'd take money off the top. He'd collect more taxes than were actually due just so he could line his pockets so that he could live a better life. And everyone knew it. So they look at Zacchaeus, they look at him and they say, he's a sinner. He's a sinner. He's done so much wrong in the eyes of God and before us as a people. He's a sinner. And he could have allowed his sin to continue to separate him from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Zacchaeus is audacious, he's creative, he's industrious. Knowing that he wants to see Jesus and knowing that he needs to see Jesus. As we said, he runs ahead of the crowd. And he climbs up in that sycamore tree so that he can see the Savior as the Savior comes by. And taking note of Zacchaeus, Jesus calls out to him. And I love this part of the story because he doesn't say, uh, who are you up there? No, he calls Zacchaeus by name. He knows him. He knows all about him. None of Zacchaeus' story or sins are a mystery to him. But he still calls him by name, giving him that dignity, that respect of being known, of being cared for. And so Jesus calls out to him and says, Zacchaeus, come down from there because I'm coming to your house today. You see, it would have been easy, I think, to be deterred by the rumors. 
It would have been easy to, to listen as the people said, oh, there's that sinner over there. You don't want to associate with him. No, here are the respectable people. These are the people you should be having lunch or tea with, Jesus. Not, not that guy. But it doesn't bother Jesus. So he goes off to Zacchaeus' house. And Scripture says Zacchaeus welcomed him gladly. The NIV translates it that way. Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus gladly. And for good reason. Because God's love is wide. God's love is inclusive. And God's love is transformative. You see, rich and poor, it didn't really matter to Jesus, good or bad, saint or sinner. It didn't matter. Apparently righteous, looking all good on the outside or whether having that corrupt heart deep down inside, it didn't matter because all are welcome and all are invited into a relationship with the God of the universe. But while there's a wideness in God's love, and and you need to hear this this morning, while God wants to invite you in and begin a relationship with you, the other thing that the gospel makes clear is that when God's love begins to intersect with our lives, when his grace makes inroads, transformation begins to happen. When we embrace God's love, when we respond to God's grace, it begins to change us. Our minds are transformed. Our hearts are renewed. We become increasingly and incrementally more and more like Christ as the Holy Spirit works in our lives. In other words, when we walk with Christ, we're not who we used to be. Amen? Those old stories, those old patterns, those old ways of being, they're just that. They're old. And in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. We're not who we used to be. And for that reason, as God's grace works in our lives, we begin to be transformed. We can't stay the same. There's a gap that's created between who we used to be and who we are now. And who we belong to. That changes everything. It changes the direction our lives are headed, our thoughts, our attitudes, our loves. Slowly but surely, the Holy Spirit transforms those things in our lives. We begin to have a new reorientation. We want to serve God. We want to, we want to do His will rather than rebel against it. And as a result, our priorities shift. Our allegiances change. The things that used to motivate us no longer do. But that's where the rub came, right? That's where the rub came in Luke 18 for that rich young ruler. This was a bridge too far. This this was a leap of faith too big. This was more than he could sign up for. I mean, after all, this was a guy in Luke 18 who had many possessions. He had worked so hard to achieve these things. He had heirlooms that had been passed down from generation to generation. He had a life and he had possessions that all his neighbors were envious of. Possessions that served as a testimony, as a legacy to all that he had achieved, all that he had worked for, all the titles and accolades that he had worked so hard to get. To sell his possessions, to give up those things, to give the money to the poor, that was too much. It would be to say that all those things he worked for, all the money that he had achieved, it, it would be to say that none of that really mattered as much as he thought it did. To get rid of everything, 
to divest himself of all his titles and accolades, that, what would the neighbors think? Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, while he found himself in a very similar boat to that rich ruler, something's different about him. Now, he's wealthy. In fact, some scholars believe he may be the wealthiest person in all of Jericho, but if not, he's in the top echelon of those who have. But there's also something else about Zacchaeus. Everyone calls him a sinner. He seems to know in his heart of hearts that it's a title that's true. He's done wrong. He's defrauded many. He not only knows that, but the entire community does. And because of that, he's quite lonely. He's someone who has great means, but he's also been kept at distance from the community. He's that person who probably gets invited to all the parties, but no one really talks to. They always keep him at arm's length. When Jesus arrives, all that changes, right? When Jesus shows up on the scene that day, all of that changed. Because he saw, he noticed, and he called out to Zacchaeus. He, in grace, made the first step. Just as he's made that first step with us, giving his one and only son. And when Zacchaeus heard his name, when he invited Jesus into his home, when he welcomed him in, when he was truly glad that he was there, everything changed for Zacchaeus from that time forward. Being accepted, experiencing God's love, having been welcomed into a relationship with the God of the universe, it changed who Zacchaeus was. His identity is now in Jesus. His identity is inextricably tied to Jesus. His life is no longer his own. It belongs to God. And knowing whom he belonged to, knowing who his identity was in, it changes things. And we see Zacchaeus transformed before our very eyes. This man who used to take from others, this man who used to take and take and take and never give, he changes. He changes as God gives generously to him and then he in turn says, I'll give half of my possessions and if I've defrauded anyone, I'll make it right. You see, God's grace and God's love met Zacchaeus where he was. Jesus meets this greedy, wealthy tax collector who everyone despises. But God's love and grace, it transforms and changes Zacchaeus. He's no longer the same. And friends, that's how it is with us as well. While God will meet us right where we are, and I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for that. While God will meet us right where we are, and while God will invite us into a relationship with him, the moment we accept his love, the moment we accept his grace, he begins to change us. He won't allow us to stay the same. He sees potential in us that we don't even see in ourselves. He sees who we've been created to be that we belong to him. 
that our lives are to be lived in service of him, sola Deo Gloria. When we accept Christ's invitation, when we say yes to God's yes that he's already said to us, we began to set in motion a new way of life, a new way of being, a new life as God's children. Amen and amen.